Hello and welcome into the Grace Point Daily Podcast. I'm Jeremiah Johnson. We are back with a verse-by-verse edition with Rick Maynard. This is episode number 65. We keep cruising along. Thank you for all of you that support and listen to the Grace Point Daily Podcast. We exist to bring you daily encouragement for your daily walk with Christ. I challenge you, support this podcast. You can, If you're on the Anchor platform, you can hit the support button. You can give a, a monthly donation to this ministry, to this podcast. We want to keep stepping up our game. Even in just a few weeks down the road, we have some exciting new gear and stuff we're going to be trying out on you. We just want to keep elevating the content that we're giving to you. But Rick Maynard, welcome back. Thank you. It's good to be back again. The fans are clamoring for a verse-by-verse edition with you. It's been a few episodes. we, we got to get back at it. Yes, we missed one last week. And the verse-by-verse is just designed simply to take us through the Word of God, verse-by-verse. Rick Maynard is a teacher here at Grace Point Church. He does this class on a Sunday morning during our Sunday school, but uh, we also bring you a weekly edition on the Grace Point Daily Podcast. So let's dive in. Where are we at, Rick? Okay, we are in 1 Kings uh, chapter 1, verse 28. Uh, And I want to make one mention. This was in the middle. We're in the middle of the story of uh, David's son, Adonijah, who's trying to take the throne. Uh, it's not supposed to be his. It's supposed to go to Solomon. Uh, so he's really trying to overthrow David. David's on his deathbed. And Nathan, the prophet, and Bathsheba, David's wife, are trying to intervene. They don't think that David knows about what's happening. And so they come in and they're trying to intervene on this. And one of the laws of uh, of the time of the Mishnah, which is part of the Uh, commentary and the laws that were set up uh, by the Jewish people. And it says, uh, a king cannot be appointed except by the word of a prophet, a priest, and the Sanhedrin. He not only violated morally, but legally. So uh, when Adonijah came in, you know, we can say, well, he was not very uh, moral. He was not a good son uh, because of trying to take over. And and, uh, while David's on his deathbed, he's trying to, uh, to take things over. But the law stated he not only violated things against David on a personal note, but he can't be appointed But besides having a word from a prophet, from a priest, and from the legal court. So Adonijah is just uh, wrong all the way around on this issue. But uh, verse 28, and I'm reading 28 through 30. The, then King David said, Call in Bathsheba. So she came into the king's presence and stood before him. The king then took an oath, as surely as the Lord lives, who has delivered me out of every trouble, I will surely carry out today what I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he will sit on my throne in my place. So uh, she's probably left the room. Uh, David calls her back in. Um, Her and Nathan have had this plan of, uh, they're not really trying to deceive David, but it's just the best plan uh, for him being on his deathbed to not uh, alarm him all of a sudden. So they kind of take it a little more casual to try to break the news. And an oath in the Bible, we you know, we think about oaths and making promises. And, you know, we're not really very good about that. Oh, I promise you this. Or we take an oath for marriage, you know, but then people cheat. You know, they do things that are far outside what they promised to do. Uh, I think, and I've mentioned this before, might be a little off the subject, but people take an oath when they uh, dedicate babies. Mm-hmm. And they that's probably the most violated oath that there is, is people that bring a baby to the front and say, I promise to raise this baby <laughs> in, the, in the church and 
all of those things. And then, you know, once they get the pictures in their cute little dress and, you know, that's kind of the end of it. Yeah. And they have a certificate that says they were dedicated right. or <laughs> baptized or whatever yeah. the case may be. But uh, biblically, you know, he makes the statement, as surely as the Lord lives, that means, you know, that can't be broken. I mean, the Lord does live. There's no doubt about that. You can't argue that point. So when you swear by God, and again, you know, we do that in wrong ways. I mean, we use that, I swear to God. Yeah. You know, we take it very lightly. But uh, what they're saying is, surely as the Lord lives, the Lord does live. So this is a an absolute promise to see something. And David uh, not only mentions as the Lord lives, but he mentions who has delivered me out of every trouble. Uh, you know, we need to remember when we pray uh, what the Lord has done for us in the past. Right. You know, yeah. uh, we need to recall, I, I've told this before, but I kind of stole a sermon one time from uh, Charles Stanley. And it was a, a sermon about David. And one of the things that he said, one of his points in that sermon was, uh, that David recalled past victories. In other words, David always, uh, in that story, he says, you know, you delivered me from the hand of the lion, uh, from the mouth of the lion, the bear. You know, he recalls the things before. If you've done that, surely you'll do this today. And so, um, and, and these victories, when he's recalling these victories, they're not just small things. You know, sometimes we can say, well, I remember when God, you know, provided $20 when I needed $20. And, <laughs> and, you know, that's a big thing if you need $20. But these are things that could have changed the course of time. Uh, he, he won the war with the Philistines. He delivered him from the persecution of Saul. I mean, there were major things that could have um, happened. Uh, there was rebellion by Absalom. Uh, numerous things that could have happened that would have changed the course of things. Uh, had God not been with David and given him the victory. so Every trouble. Yeah, every trouble. Every trouble. Like Verse that. Verse 31, Then Bathsheba bowed low with her face to the ground, and kneeling before the king said, May my lord King David live forever. I know that's probably uh, the way it is uh, in your home when uh, Pastor Rachel comes in. She probably bows low with her face to the ground yep. and calls you Lord. Um, <laughs> may you live forever, Lord Jeremiah. Is she that... did on my birthday. No, oh, just kidding. Yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Probably didn't even get it then, did you? <laughs> anyway, um, you know, Bathsheba's a wife, but in this case she's um, playing both roles. You know, she's the mother of Solomon, who's supposed to be the king, but uh, she's David's wife. She has access to the king. So when she comes in here, I don't know if other times when she came in, she probably didn't have to bow low and, you know, every time she wanted to talk to David about something. Uh, but in this case, it's kingdom issues. And so uh, she's coming in as a servant of the king, basically. Uh, may you live forever is a, you know, it's kind of like the old break a leg thing. Uh, may you be prosperous. You know, it's a blessing or whatever. Obviously, um we don't want David to live on forever in the kind of pain and suffering that he's in at this time, at the end of his life. Uh, you know, we don't pray that over people who are, I mean, we pray for healing, but we don't want them to live on like they are, you yeah. know, in, in the, uh, uh, the condition that they're in. So really, it's kind of like praying in vain. They're not going to live on forever uh, other than, you know, than in heaven, for sure. But 
Um, and this is, you know, it states that if a son lives a good life, it is as if the father lives on. He continues to rise in paradise. So there's a phrase that says, uh, it doesn't say that people died. It says they lay with their fathers. And part of that was not as if they're gone, because if they have a good son, then uh, it's as if the father lives on. And, uh, you know, you you realize that. You have sons. Yep. You know, I have sons. Um, we talk about a lot of times they'll say, well, the... You know, the Maynard name is going to die when I die because there's no son, there's no grandson. You know, I do have sons, I do have a grandson. But there are a lot of people that have daughters, and they make that statement that the name right. won't live <laughs> on. You know? And I, I was in my family. I was the last male yeah. offspring yeah. of the Johnson name. Yeah. So. And you've got boys and to I carry boys. that on, you know. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, uh, let's move on. Verse 32 and 33 King David said, Call in Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benanai, son of Jehoiada. When they come before the king, or when they came before the king, he said to them, Take your Lord's servants with you, and send Solomon, my set son, my Solomon, on my own mule, and take him down to Gihon. Uh, the words, the promises that have been made are no longer enough. Uh, the promise for Solomon to be king is no longer enough. It's time uh, that there's action. You know, you can declare anything you want to. You can say Solomon's going to be the king, and uh, but under the circumstances, now it's not just going to happen. You're going to have to take action to make it happen. And uh, Zadok um, is the priest, the high priest, and so uh, this is what we just mentioned. You have to have the priest. Uh, Nathan is the prophet, and so he has the words and the visions of things to come. Benanai is uh, from the Sanhedrin, so uh, that's the legal side of things. And so uh, they're trying to do it the right way, trying to mm-hmm. take care of all the loopholes so that uh, Adonijah can't come back and say, well, you know, you did this and you did this, but you didn't bring the priest or you didn't bring the legal side of it. So uh, you could have tried to find a loophole in there someplace to keep that from happening. Um and then there's uh, under the law of the land or the the custom. And, and, you know, some of these things, when you talk about the laws and the customs, they're not all uh, biblical. In other words, it's not as if God said, okay, when the king uh, is supposed to sit on the mule and, you know, some of these laws were developed by the priest and, and different things, but they still fell under God's uh, direction. And so... The mule was for a king. We wouldn't think about that. We'd think the king would come riding in on a, uh, you know, great white stallion or something. Uh, but, you know, if you want to relate this to Jesus, he came riding in on a yeah. mule, you know. Uh, so the mule was for a king. It was representative of the king. So it wasn't even for Jesus in his time. It wasn't as if, oh, poor lowly Jesus, you know, had to ride <laughs> in on a donkey like, you know, he couldn't afford a horse or you know, it's not very kingly or whatever, but it was very kingly yeah. uh, to be sitting on a on a donkey. And so uh, the horse, the the uh, ideal illustration for the horse was for going to war. So uh, the mule being more docile was uh, obviously worked better for the king. But And then Adonijah, we ta- when it talked about the way he came in and the way he was making all his announcements, it was horses and chariots and you know, making a big public display that wasn't even the right 
way to do things. Wow, lack of humility. Right, right. But um, both Solomon and Adonijah, Adonijah had done the right thing. It was near running water. Water was a sign of blessing. Uh, It was a a continual running. In other words, may your kingdom live forever. Uh, Not necessarily um, you live forever, but it'll live on through your, kind of like the Johnson name will live on through your sons. Um, So uh, verse 34 There have Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel, blow the trumpet and shout, long live King Solomon. Uh, Solomon, again, it's just part of the way of going out and announcing things the way it should be. 35, then you are to go up with him and he is to come and sit on my throne and reign in my place. So uh, the the way it's being done, everything's being done, uh, proper according to the law. Uh, I have appointed him ruler over Israel and Judah. Uh, he, when Solomon leaves, he's just a son of David. When he comes back, he returns as the king. So uh, most of the time, a son wouldn't act as the king until the father died. But these are special circumstances. Uh, David has the authority to do what he's doing. Um, and so under the circumstances, he needs to place Solomon there before Adonijah uh, gains too big of a following. And he probably would have after a time. If Dave, David had remained silent, Solomon had re- remained silent, uh, Adonijah may have been the next king, hmm. you know, not by God's direction. But so uh, by doing things right, he's been crowned. He's been anointed. There's been a coronation. They've blown the trumpet. He's sitting on the throne. And so all the potential that that was supposed to happen has now come uh, to pass. And it says he was king over Israel and Judah. Uh, Kings were not always kings over all the land. Judah had kings and Israel had kings. But uh, David was king over both, and now Solomon is king over both. So uh, verse 36, 37, Benaniah, son of Jehoiada, answered the king, Amen. May the Lord, the God of my Lord, the King, so declare it. As the Lord was with my Lord, the King, so may he be with Solomon to make his throne even greater than the throne of my Lord, King David. So he's proclaiming a blessing. And, you know, the issue of proclaiming a blessing, you know, I I mentioned in my class the other day that when uh, Shane, my son, got married, uh, they asked me to say a blessing or pray a blessing over their life. And so, you know, if someone asks you to do that, or even if you just do that on your own, if you're praying a blessing over your children, you know, over your sons and daughters, you're praying that blessing over them. But just because you declare that blessing doesn't mean that it's going to come to pass. It takes uh, both sides. For you to declare a blessing over your sons uh, that they become great ministers or, you know, if they serve God all the days of their lives, you know, your sons still have a choice to do that. Yeah. And so if I proclaim a blessing over my uh, son, as I did, uh, you know, when I prayed over him at a wedding, you know, I declare a blessing of prosperity. Well, uh, you know, he's got to go to work. <laughs> I mean, uh, because I proclaim a blessing doesn't mean that my son just gets blessed and has all kinds of financial help. But and he decides not to go to work. Hey, Dad, proclaim the blessing. I don't have to go to work. Yeah, you know, and uh, and I, I heard that one time too about prophecy. 
you know, a lot of people say, I'd like to have a word from God. You know, the prophet comes to town and, you know, they're just hoping that he's going to look at them sitting in the congregation and say, the Lord gave me a word for you. Yeah. You know, yep. uh, sometimes <laughs> I don't know if I would like that because the word doesn't always have to be, you know, a great word. I mean, so, uh, uh, so you know, proclaiming that blessing, the person receiving it has, has to, they have to yeah. take part. And there's a, a process to that blessing coming to pass. I know they're a little, little off topic. My favorite prophetic word that people miss kind of use, I think a lot is in Jeremiah, for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord. Mm-hmm. That was proclaimed, and then they went into seven years of bondage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we're like, that was not a bumper sticker. Right. That was not a good prophecy. Right. To them, right. God is saying, okay, I'm going to bless you, but you're going to now be in slavery yeah. and bondage for seven years. Right. Well, But I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord. Uh-huh. Yay. You know? Yeah. Yeah. We like to stop <laughs> short of... You know, we we like the if part, uh, or we like the then part, but we don't like the if part. <laughs> if you'll do this, then I'll do this. We like the then part, you know, uh, without any uh, responsibility on our part. And, and again, uh, the, the word of blessing, I believe in the word of blessing over people, uh, proclaiming a blessing, saying a blessing. Uh, I believe in that. Yeah. But again, if that person's not going to cooperate— uh, not going to live for the Lord, then the things of the Lord are not going to be coming their way, no matter how much we want to proclaim it and and bless it, you know, or bless them. But uh, and I I love uh, you know what Solomon said or what uh, uh, Benanai uh, says here. May your children do even more than you did. And there there's an issue here where parents should want their sons and their daughters to be greater than they were, you know. And I, I related it. I know we were just sitting here talking about uh, basketball, but and it pertains to any sport out there. But, you know, we like to look at the records, you know. Yep. So, in other words, if you had the uh, record for uh, the most number of field goals in your high school basketball, and that record has stood for years— Generally, you're not sitting there saying, man, I hope somebody breaks my record someday. I mean, it's really neat to say, I hold the record, but we're usually not wishing for somebody to do better than we did. Mm-hmm. You know, we like to, to hang on, and we know someday it's going to be broken. Yeah. You know, but it's kind of the same principle here. Do we want our children, you know, if if I have this great name and, you know, I'm known all over the world because of my teaching. And we know I will be because, you know, yep. this is being listened to all over the yes. world. So, you know, we know that's the way it's going to be. Technically, yes, yes, Rick, it, it is. is. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, I would wish my sons, you know, my sons are not, um, that's not really their calling and teaching. They don't feel the, uh, the calling into that. But I would hope my sons would do far better than I ever did you know, financially and spiritually and in their prayer lives and and everything. So um, these are uh, declarations of may your son be better than you yeah. are. And David doesn't uh, say a word against that. You know, he stands in agreement with that. So uh, verse 38, So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaniah, son of Jehoiada, the Carathites and the Pelethites, went down and put Solomon on King David's mule escorted him to Gihon. So uh, that's just they're being obedient to what David has told them to do. Uh, 
Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the sacred tent and anointed Solomon. Then they sounded the trumpet, and all the people shouted, Long live King Solomon. Uh, It's not the tabernacle of Moses. This is the tabernacle that David built for the ark. Um, This is all being done in public view. And the the horn, it mentions, you know, some things we think, well, what difference would it make if it says, you know, the oil was in the horn or whatever. But the horn was a sign of strength and endurance, and only David and Solomon were anointed from the horn. Everyone else was a different container of some kind, but they're the only ones mentioned uh, from the horn. And it's not that other kings and uh, other people weren't just as important or did just as many things, but it's almost as if God says, this is where it all begins. These are going to be the the foundation of the kingdoms to come, the example of the way things uh, should be. So, uh, you know, I think maybe there was an extra blessing on them uh, by by the... Uh, the illustration of the the horn. So mm-hmm. um, now the oil. This I, I had never heard this before, but the oil is the same oil made by Moses. So they have kept a horn of oil or a bottle of oil. I don't know how much Moses mixed up. I don't know how much they used. You know, there's times where we talk about um, where they actually poured oil. You know, over someone. It ran down their beard and that kind of stuff, but I think this anointing oil, um, and it's it's a command, we'll read it here in just a second, um, but it was made by Moses. Uh, it was for the anointing the utensils in the tabernacle, so they would take the basin and all of those things. The anointing was very significant during that time. Um, there was for anointing the priest and the kings, and it was mixed by Moses, and so let me read this real quick. Exodus thirty twenty two. And this is, uh, this is the command. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Take the following fine spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much, that is 250 shekels of fragrant cinnamon, 20, 250 shekels of fragrant cane, 500 shekels of cassia, all according to the sanctuary shekel, and a hand of olive oil. Make these into a sacred anointing oil, a fragrant blend, the work of a perfumer. It will be the sacred anointing oil. Then use it to anoint the tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony, the table and its articles, the lampstand and its accessories, the altar of incense, the altar of wood or of burnt offering, and all its utensils, and the basin with the stand. You shall consecrate them so they will be most holy, and whatever touches them will be holy. Anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them so they may serve me as priest. Say to the Israelites, this is to be my sacred anointing oil for the generations to come. So again, it's not just for that time it's it talks about the generations to come do not pour it on men's bodies do not make any oil with the same formula it is sacred and you are to consider it sacred whoever makes perfume like it and whoever puts it on anyone other than a priest must be cut off from the people so uh, it was a pretty strict uh, Hmm. scenario for uh, the anointing oil and you know we have uh, i thought about this we have oil in the church and it, I mean, obviously, it's not the oil from Moses. You know, we don't claim that there's some supernatural um, anointing on the oil that comes from Moses. We know there's no power in the oil, that it's a uh, symbolic uh, anointing. But I think I think we kind of missed it a little bit because I was raised in the church, and until just now, until just studying now, 
I never realized really the significance of the oil. Mm. It was always just kind of like, well, we have this little bottle up here <laughs> and, you know, sometime and, and, you know, I don't know how that decision is made always, but sometimes we put oil on someone when we pray for them and sometimes we don't, yep. you know, and, uh, so, uh, but we don't really understand the significance, I think, sometimes of, of the oil. And uh, so, but they would, uh, it was the oil made by Moses. Uh, had all these special spices that were uh, commanded by God. And um, it, the oil never ran dry. Every high priest and king was anointed during the time of the first temple. It's a direct link between Moses and every king and high priest. Uh, it's as if Moses' stamp of approval is going on the priest and the kings from that point over or that point on. Um, let me, where are we at on time? Let's knock out a couple more. Okay. Well, I'm not moving on to another scripture, but the process okay. of the anointing on the, the utensils, uh, there was no particular spot on any utensil. You just touched the utensil with the oil, basically. On priests and kings, it was on the head, which is represents the seat of man's intellect. Uh, it was not, again, the commandment was to not pour it on the head. So there were there were times where it probably wasn't the, the oil of Moses that was being uh, poured on someone's head. It was a rubbed on, and rubbing on is anointing. That's exactly what the word means, to rub something on or rub it in. Uh, is the anointing on the king is rubbed in the shape of a crown between the eyebrows so probably a circle uh, that represented the kingship it was rubbed in the shape of an x for a high priest um, the crown symbolizes kingship and the x sounds like the first letter of the word for priest so uh, there's reasons behind a lot of things if you just hmm. watch them draw a circle or an x uh those things do actually uh, mean something. And there was a belief during that time that, it, that the anointing caused physical and spiritual changes, uh, that they had strength and ability that they never had before. Hmm. And so, you know, if you think about that when we pray over someone and, and uh, the anointing oil, you know, we don't necessarily believe that the oil has that power, but praying in the name of Jesus and anointing someone— we believe there's power in that, that that person uh, can have a physical change. In other words, uh, you prayed for me last night. Yeah. You know, there's a belief that we can have a physical change through the anointing and the, the praying uh, and uh, a spiritual change. I mean, obviously, if, if, my, if my physical body changes in healing, it's going to affect me spiritually. You know, if I see the blind man healed— my faith has increased. Right, yep. You know, so it does affect us uh, physically and spiritually. Um, it's, a, it's a symbol of permanence. And I mentioned this in class. I've had poison ivy the last uh, couple of weeks. <laughs> and so, uh -oh. you know, you get online and you read about, you know, what to do and how you get it and what it looks like and all those kind of things. And it was amazing because with poison ivy, it's an oil on the leaf. So mm. it's not dust or whatever, but there's actually oil on the leaf. And they said that if you got that oil and rubbed it on something, in other words, uh, obviously not a person because it's going to wash off, but if, you, if we rubbed it on this table 
that it could sit here on the table for a year and you could still be infected by the poison ivy. Wow. So a small amount of oil, is it, it's significant of a permanence. In other words, it can mm. stay there almost forever. And you know how it is. Oil just doesn't dry up. Right. It doesn't yep. evaporate. Yeah. You know. And so people say, well, how could that be the oil <laughs> of Moses? Well, you know, if it's in a container, uh, it doesn't dry up. So uh, a couple last things, and we'll wind it up. Uh the anointing of David flowed to his descendants. In other words, Solomon did not have to be anointed. Um, he could have got his anointing through passing it down from uh, David because it, it goes to the descendants. But under the circumstances here, uh, it was a, uh, a necessity to show that he was king, to prove to the people because of the special circumstances. So anyway, that's... Probably probably about time to wrap it up. You yeah, think? that's good stuff, okay. though. We're on the journey of what's going to happen here. I'm guessing it's not going to go well for Adonijah. That's my prediction here coming yes, up. Yes, <laughs> we don't want to tell. Like This is not Paul Harvey. We're not giving the rest of the story this morning. So Yeah, well, as always, we continue to encourage you. Get in the Word of God. Study it. There's such life. There's such power. There's such truth. There's such help in the Word of God. And there's an anointing in the Word of God for your life as well to help you, to encourage you. Thank you so much for listening. We will talk to you next time. <laughs>